Are you ready for the word today? So uh, today I'm going to talk about the gospel according to the cave. Everybody say the gospel according to the cave. 1 Samuel chapter 22 beginning with verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 22 beginning with verse number 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone was in distress, everyone was in debt, everyone was discontented. They gathered to him, so he became the captain over all of them. And there were about 400 men with him. Everybody say 400. Everybody say 400. And everyone shout, he became the captain over them. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus the Lord. We thank you that we have the opportunity to listen to your word today. And I pray that as we engage the word, and I pray that the word of God uh, would go forth with power and boldness today. I pray that we would not only hear the word, but that it be transformative in our life. I pray that we would just not be faithful believers, but that we be fruitful believers. Let us bear fruit as we are faithful. Faithful and fruitful. I thank you for this wonderful church, these people that you've given me. I pray that I would only pastor the way that you want me to, that I would do it according to the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 5, that I would not lord over them, that I wouldn't do it for filthy lucre, but that I would do it with a meek and gentle spirit. I pray that their hearts would be receptive, that as I follow you, they follow. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a part of their lives, that just wouldn't be a, a Sunday thing, but this would be something that we live out every day of our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us, that you would do a work through us, that we would be the people that you've called us to be here in Galena and the surrounding area. And everyone shouted a great big, amen. The gospel according to the cave. The gospel according to the cave. Um, you know, as Pentecostals, we, we get hung up with some words that we use a lot. And as Pentecostals, we like to use that word anointing. You ever, how many has ever heard the word anointing before? Okay, five people. I said, how many has ever heard of the word anointing before? Okay. You know, as Pentecostals, we throw that word around. Boy, he's anointed. Boy, she's anointed. Boy, that person can really sing. Boy, they gave me goosebumps. They're really anointed. Boy, he really preached the house down. He's really anointed. We throw that word around a lot. And have you ever just stopped to think for a few moments of what it really means to be anointed? What does it mean to be anointed? What is the implications of being anointed? And if you are anointed, is there certain characteristics that point to that anointing or to that calling or gifting? And, you know, as you search the scriptures from Genesis, especially all the way in the Old Testament, the word anointing is used a lot. And for special offices in the Old Testament, especially as kings, the uh, priest or occasionally a prophet would pour an X amount of oil on that particular person 
and they would pray a prayer over them, and that person was anointed for an office. In the New Testament, the word anointing, um, the Messiah is actually uh, a word which means the anointed one. And so I think that if you put the Old Testament and the New Testament together, and you look at it um, from, a, from a theological standpoint, the word anointing really is God's favor or God's ability upon a person to do something that they could not do in their own ability. That's what the anointing is. It's God's power, God's ability, God's favor upon a certain person to do what God has called them to do. That Normally they couldn't do it in their own power or ability. That's the anointing. So anointing is not style. Anointing is not somebody that gives you goosebumps. Anointing is not somebody that causes you to think, boy, they, they can really sing. Because I believe, and I grew up in Pentecostalism, I believe that there are some preachers that's very good with, uh, with manipulation, crowd manipulation. They know to say the exact, they know what to say to get the crowd to move. They know what to do to move you. And I can do that. I can get up here and really preach hard and really get my face red and really say the right things and get a rhetorical rope going and probably 50 of you will stand to your feet and you'll start shouting. That, that is, that's a way to manipulate the crowd. Now there's nothing wrong with if I, if, I feel a, if I feel the Spirit of the Lord leading me to preach that way and you want to stand and you want to acknowledge the presence of the Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to discern we have to discern what is uh, crowd manipulation, what is a gift, versus what is truly anointing. We have to discern that. And I believe that growing in God's grace, one of the characteristics of you know that you're growing, one of the characteristics of maturity is discernment. You know, your child, if, if you have children, you know your, ch your child is, you know, as they grow, their discernment grows. As a, as a baby, you have to tell them, don't put your hand on the stove because it's hot. They, don't, they, they can't discern what is hot or what is cold or they shouldn't do that or they should do this. And so you have to train them that they got to discern between good and evil. They got to discern to do this and not to do this. And that's the same way in your Christian life. As you grow, you should be able to discern some things. Everything that's good is not great. You see, Eve looked at the fruit and she saw that it was good. But just because she saw that it was good doesn't mean that it was beneficial for her and Adam. Just because something is good doesn't make it right. I believe that sometimes a good thing comes before a God thing. And you've got to distinguish what is godly and what is good. You've got to distinguish between what is a gift and what is anointing. I've met people that don't have no college degrees, that's really not really talented at all, but you sense God's favor, God's anointing upon their life to do what God has called them to do. So God's anointing is God's favor or God's ability upon somebody's life to do what God has called them to do. And I have learned in life that if you are called to do something for God, you will usually have to go through something. You see, you'll have to go through the valley. You know, David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He had to go through something. And, and as Christians, we have to discern as we go through something, we've got to discern what God wants us to do. We've got to discern what God wants to do in our life. It is not necessarily to destroy us, but to develop us. God wants to develop us in the valleys. 
God wants to develop us through the hard times. And sometimes our discernment is off, and we think that God is against us, God's left us, God's mad at us, somehow God has forsaken us. But as you grow in your life, you have to have a spirit of discernment to know that I'm walking through this for a particular purpose and for a particular reason, and God is not disciplining me, so to speak. He is developing me, maybe. And you've got to discern between what's discipline and what's developing, and I believe that discipline can be development in the Lord. And so your anointing is going to be tested when you go through what you're called to go through. The evidence of your anointing is the stuff that you've got to go through to the purpose that God's anointed you for. And sometimes who we are and where we are at sometimes conflict. Who we are and where we are at in life, sometimes there's a conflict there. I'm a born-again Christian that loves Jesus, that desires to serve God, but where I'm at in my life doesn't match what I feel like God has called me to do. And so God wants to develop us in those seasons of our life. You see, one of the things I realize is this, is that you could be qualified but not ready. You could be qualified and not ready. You could be qualified because of your accomplishments and your giftings, but that doesn't make you ready spiritually. And that's what happens in the church. We look at people and they are gifted. They, are, they have a lot of accomplishments. They have a whole list of accomplishments. And we get confused and think they're anointed to do a particular purpose. So we elevate them and give them offices and give them, give them titles. And I've done it. I've made mistakes before. I'll be the first to admit it that I've done it. But as I've grown in the Lord, the Lord has taught me to discern between somebody being qualified and somebody being ready. You see, there's three areas as a person or as a leader that you need. You need character. Every person needs character. You have to have character. That's who you are when nobody's looking. That's the principles that not, is non-negotiable in your life. That's character. That's who you are as a person. Number two, there is competency. You've got to have the skill to do it, obviously. So you've got to have the skill to do the job that God has called you to do. But then three, you've got to have chemistry. You've got to work well with people. And you, have, you can have character, you can, you can be a great man of God, a great man of prayer, a great man of principle. You can have skill, competency to do the job, but maybe you are horrible at working together with people. There's no chemistry there. And I believe that what God wants to do is perfect all three in you. He wants to perfect your character, He wants to perfect your skill, and He wants to perfect your chemistry. You've got to have all three in your life working so that you can accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Whatever, whatever God wants you to do, those three things have to be evident in your life working. The character, the skill, and the chemistry working together in your life so you can fulfill what God has called you to fulfill. So just because you are qualified doesn't make you ready to do what God has called you to do. It doesn't make you ready. God determines who is ready, and when it's time, God will promote that person. So, so what I want you to see is that sometimes you've got to go through the cave. You start at the pasture, but before you get to the palace, you've got to go through the cave. You start at the pasture. David was a shepherd boy in the pasture. But before he got to the palace, he went through the cave. And there are some things that you can learn in the cave to help you to become the person that God has called you to be. Every person under the sound of my voice is called to do something, and I believe God wants to anoint you to do something for Him in His kingdom. But before you get to the palace, you've got to go through the cave. David was a shepherd boy working in the fields 
working for his father in the pasture, but before he got to the palace, he went through the cave. And the Bible reminds us in 1 Samuel chapter 22, the scripture that I just read to you, you've got to understand the context of what's happening here. David is actually fleeing from Saul. Saul was the king of Israel, and Saul is a very jealous individual. A very jealous individual. He hated David, and yet God used David to minister to Saul, even though Saul was very jealous of him. And so to make a long story short, David was actually running from his life, and he ran to a cave. And, uh, and the kingdom was, the kingdom, there was lots of people in the kingdom that was in debt, they was distressed, they was discontented because of the leadership of Saul. So, so David runs to a cave in 1 Samuel 22, the cave of Adullam, and as he's in the cave, about 400 people came to him that was in debt, they were discontented, they were in distress, and what, because of King Saul. They're running to David because of King Saul's leadership. And so David finds himself in the cave. He finds himself, you know, he's probably discouraged. David's best friend is Jonathan, but yet Saul is out to kill him. I mean, it's not a good situation. He's in the cave, he's upset, he's, he's discontinued, he's, he's in debt, he's dealing with these 400 people that's scratching their head, trying to figure out what's going on in the kingdom. And David is in a cave. And there's, that's what I call the gospel according to the cave. There are some good things that you can learn in the cave. There are some good things that you can learn in the cave. There's good news in the cave. And I pray today that as I share these things with you, that you would be receptive, open your heart, and you would be keen in the Spirit to know what God wants to do in the cave. Number one, the very first thing I believe that God wants to do in the cave is that He wants to cultivate you, but He doesn't necessarily want to cancel some things in your life. There, it's about cultivation, not cancellation. Sometimes when we're walking through the cave, when we're walking through a hard time, when we're walking through a valley, we think that God is canceling our assignment. That our assignment will never come to flourishing. That somehow God has forgotten about us and that the gifting and calling on our life will never come to pass. And so it's canceled because of what I'm going through. And I want you to change your perspective today and see that God wants to cultivate in you something in the cave. It's about cultivation, not cancellation. Somebody say that with me today. It's about cultivation, not cancellation. One of the things I want you to see in this story, if they could put it up there for me, I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 22, and I want you to see uh, verse number 2. You see that the Bible says that everybody that was with him was in debt. It was discontented. They were, they, they're in distress. But look at verse 2. So he became the captain over them. He became the captain over them. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. In the cave, he became the captain over the 400 men. He wasn't the captain at first, but in the cave, he became the captain. He became the leader in the cave. He became the leader in the cave. He wasn't the leader before, but in the cave he became the leader. So could it be that in the cave, God wants to cultivate something in you? It was in the cave that God cultivated leadership in David's life. 
It was in the cave that God did something in David's life so that he would be ready to be king. Now let me stop and say this to you. If you read the book of 1 Samuel, get this. David was already anointed as king. The prophet already came and anointed him as king. He is already king. He's already had the proclamation over his life that you're going to be the new king of Israel. That's already happened to him. But now he finds himself in a cave. Have you ever heard something from God? Has God ever spoken to you? And you get excited about that word? And then you find yourself in a dilemma? You find yourself in a cave? David is anointed. The anointing has already happened. But he still finds himself in a cave. You see, the point is, you can be qualified, but not ready. He was qualified to be king. He was anointed to be king, but he wasn't ready to be king. And so God put him in the cave so that that anointing that was on his life, if he really had the anointing, that anointing would carry him through the cave. If you are anointed as much as you say you are, it should carry you through the cave. It should carry you through the valley. It should carry you through the hard times. If your anointing is only good when you preach, you don't have an anointing. If your anointing is good only when you can sing and everything's going right in your life, you don't have an anointing. The anointing is evident if you have it in the cave. And it was in the cave that David became a leader. It was in the cave that God cultivated something in David's life. Nothing was canceled. It was a process of cultivation. It was in the cave he became a leader. You can be qualified but not ready. He was anointed as king before the cave. But God said, you're not ready yet. Even though you're anointed, even though I've called you to be king, you're not ready to be king, and I want you to go through the cave so I could perfect something in your life so that when you actually sit on the throne, you'll be able to carry the weight of the responsibility that I'm giving you. So if you're really anointed, it's going to carry you through the cave. It will carry you through the hard times. It will carry you through the valley. It will be your, you, you will be strengthened during the hard times of your life. So it is about becoming. It's about cultivation. It's about development. It's about growth. It's about the Holy Spirit doing something in your life that you could not do yourself. Number one, it's about cultivation, not cancellation. Number two, number two, it is about learning how to do ministry while you are still dealing with your own misery. It's about doing ministry when you are dealing with your own misery. Now, let me just stop and say this. It, David's in the cave, and you find in verse 1, verse 2, that people who are in distress, people who are in debt, they start to come to David. People who are uh, discontinued, they're, they're, they're upset, they're in stress, they're aggravated, they're frustrated, they're running to David, there's about 400 of them in the cave. Now let me ask you a question. How would you deal with 400 people in debt? How would you deal with 400 people in distress? How would you deal with 400 people that's frustrated? You think your children and your little problems, is that's a lot. Well, can you imagine 400 of them living in the cave with you? 
and they're all discouraged. They're all in debt. They're all in distress. The point of it is, church, listen to Pastor Josh, the point of it is, David had to learn how to minister to people even when he was dealing with his own misery. What was his misery? Well, you remember I told you? Saul is after his life. Saul is after to kill him. Saul's jealous of him. That's the reason he's in the cave. He's dealing with his own misery, but at the same time, he had to do ministry to 400 people. And if you are really anointed, you have the ability to minister to people when you are miserable yourself. That's what the anointing is. The anointing gives you the ability to minister to people when you are dealing with your own misery. If you have the anointing only when you feel good and things are doing right, you don't, you're not anointed. The anointing is there to bring you through the caves of life, the valleys of life, the fiery furnaces of life. That's the anointing. It gives you the ability to carry out what God has called you to do. It is not if you preach good. It, now, it's good to have skill, all right? And it's good to have character and chemistry, but it is God's anointing that gives you the ability to do it and to carry it through in the caves of life. It's the gospel according to the cave. And you know, one of the things I found is that I want cave friends, not castle friends. You know, everybody wants to celebrate when, we, when the church grows and explodes. Oh, boy. But was you there at the beginning when we were struggling? Was you there with me in the cave? Was you there praying for me in the cave? Was you there encouraging me in the cave? Or do you just want to wait till we get to the castle and celebrate and take the credit for it? We got to learn to stay together in the cave. We got to learn together to pray together in the cave. We got to learn together to stay together and pray with one another and believe with one another in the cave. It's not about the castle. I want cave friends that will stick with me through the thick and the thin. I, you want friends that will stick with you through the thick and thin. Not to give up when it gets stressful, when it gets hard, when people are in debt, when people are in distress. Not to leave, but to say, I'm going to stay with you in the cave. Because I'm your cave friend. I'm not your castle friend. I'm your cave friend. The anointing's about ministering to people even when you are miserable. Even when you yourself is miserable. Number three, you've got to learn how to... Sometimes God will give you endurance when He don't deliver you. You see, one of the things I've learned as I study the Scriptures, listen to Pastor Josh, is my theology American or is my theology biblical? Is my theology American or is it biblical? And we're all Americans and it's very hard for us to separate what's American and what is biblical. And sometimes the American mindset is it has to be comfortable. I have to be delivered from it. I can't be stressed out about it. Any stress, you know, is not of God. And that's not true. Suffering's not of God. We, we want to make a whole list of things that's not of God. God is sovereign. 
And we can pray and we can ask God to do things, but ultimately God is sovereign and God will do what God wants to do. We should pray. We should ask. God does hear. God does answer. But there are times that God is sovereign and He sees what's best and He says, listen, I want you to endure this. I'm not going to deliver you. Sometimes it's about discipline, not deliverance. Sometimes it's about development and not deliverance. Have you ever thought about what is God trying to teach me in this hard time of my life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever did self-evaluation and ask yourself the hard questions about what does God try what is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to develop in me? What is God trying to cultivate in me? Maybe God wants me to endure this and he's not going to deliver me from it. He didn't deliver the three Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace. He was there with them in the fiery furnace. And the three Hebrew boys didn't even know that there was a fourth man in the fire. It was the king who looked in and said, did I not throw three in? There's a fourth man that looks like the Son of God. The three Hebrew boys was unaware that there was a fourth man in the fiery furnace. And sometimes when we're in the cave and when we're in the furnace and we're in the valley, we're not even aware that God's with us. But other people's looking on and saying, I know God's with you because if God wasn't with you, you would have gave up. It would have destroyed you a long time ago. It's not about deliverance as much as it is about endurance. Endurance. You see, in the cave, they were distressed. They're frustrated. Some of them were in debt. Now, if you're in the cave and you're discontinued and you're stressed out and you're in debt, all of those things could be taken care of in the spirit. If you're distressed, that's a spiritual problem. But in debt is not necessary. It could be a spiritual problem, but in this case, when they got out of the cave, the people who were in distress probably, you know, became happy because David became their leader and David shared the scriptures with them. David taught them, but there is no bank in the cave. So nobody got out of debt in the cave. So sometimes you've got to endure some things. Sometimes God doesn't deliver you. You know, one of the things I found, this is so powerful, one of the things I found is that as David was in the cave, David wrote, particularly, he wrote three psalms in the cave. And I'm going to read them to you. So as David is in the cave with 400 people who are stressed out and in debt, he's ministering to them, even though he's miserable, he's ministering to them. God is cultivating something in David's life, even though David was already anointed, he was qualified. He wasn't ready, so God put him in the cave to, to, to cultivate something in his life. God wanted David to endure some things. He didn't deliver him. But in that cave, David wrote three psalms. You know, psalms is a hymn book. In the early church, you know, they didn't have hymn books like you and I have. They had the book of psalms. So that was their hymn book. And, that, and the book of psalms is to be sung... It's to be read, and if you read the book of Psalms, there are some powerful things in there that is really applicable to your life if you take time to read it. But what I want you to see is what David wrote in the cave. 
The very first psalm he wrote, and these are not necessarily in uh, order, uh, because we kind of put them in order, so I just want to kind of start with the first one, Psalm 142. Psalm 142, this is the first, one of the first ones that he wrote in the cave. Psalm 142, um, verse number 2, and you'll find that he begins to cry out. Verse number 1 and 2, I poured my complaint out before the Lord. With the voice of the Lord, I made my supplication. I declared to him my troubled. Verse number 3, my spirit was overwhelmed within me. See, and who is laying that secret, secretly laying a path for him is Saul. You know, Saul, who he thought was his friend, because he's very close to Jonathan, here's Saul is out to destroy his life. I mean, this is a very perplexing situation for David. He's in the cave. He's saying, listen, he's, I know who I am, but where I am doesn't match. There's a conflict. My context doesn't fit my conduct. There is something wrong with this picture. And David begins to cry out to the Lord. Look at him. I poured my complaint out to the Lord. Verse number 2, look at it. I poured my complaint out to Him. I declared to Him my trouble. Now look at verse 5. I don't have time to read all of it. But verse 5, he says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. I don't have, I don't have nowhere to go, Lord. My portion is in the land of the living. Verse 6, attend to my cry. For I was brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. Bring my soul out of prison. The right, that righteousness should surround me. For you shall deal bountifully with me. You see, David, David is crying to the Lord in the cave. Lord, hear my prayer. I am brought low. I mean, this is a low time for David. David also writes another psalm. In Psalm chapter 57. 57, I do believe. Is that right, Bo? 57. 57. He goes ahead and writes another one. In chapter 57. So it starts out with complaint. He's complaining to the Lord. Obviously, I would complain too. Verse number 57, I want you to see just a few things. He says, be merciful to me, Lord. Verse number 2, I cried out to the Lord Most High, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. Now, do you see it's starting to change here? Verse Chapter 142, he's complaining. Oh God, help me, I brought low. I don't know what to do. The persecutors are after me. I brought low, Lord. Then it kind of changes in 57. He says, he's going to send help. He's going to help me. Because how many knows that when you pray a little bit more and you read a little bit more, it gets better. So David starts to complain. He's pouring his soul out to the Lord and it gets better. He's saying, well, you know, the Lord is going to pour out He's going, to, he's, going to, uh, uh, he's going to listen to me. He's going to sin from heaven. Uh, verse number 4, he says, My soul is among lions. He says, lions. Well, he's in a cave with 400 people. And they're all depressed. How many would say the same thing? I mean, he is crying out to the Lord. Verse number 6, he says to the Lord, 
He says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed, bowed low. They've dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. But my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. You see what David's saying here? David was, he's getting better. He starts in Psalm 142. He's crying to the Lord. He's complaining to the Lord. And then Psalm 57, he's encouraging himself. He's saying, God's going to help me in this. God's going to come to my aid. And then there's one last psalm that David writes in the cave. How many wants to know what it is? How many, knows, how many wants to know what it is? The last psalm that he writes in the cave is Psalm 34, verse 1. I love this. I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. He says, he says I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Somebody should just shout right there. Verse 2. Somebody should shout right there. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And the humble shall hear of it and be glad. David came to a place in the cave where he says, I can't change these 400 people. I can't change Saul that hates me. I'm just going to bless the Lord in the cave. I'm going to bless the Lord in the cave. Because he never changes. People change. Circumstances change. My conduct, my context can change, but God will never change. I said God will never change. Verse number 4, look at it. Psalm 34, verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all of my fears. Who's after him? Saul's after him. He says, I sought the Lord in the cave. He delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and they were radiant and their faces were ashamed. But this poor man cried out to the Lord and he saved me from all of my troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him and deliver him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want of those who fear him. The young lions lack, they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want for any good thing. How can you say that in the cave? How can you say God is good in the cave? How can you say that you don't want anything in the cave? That He provides everything for you. There is no one to those who fear Him in the cave. Because David understood a principle that God was cultivating something in him in the cave. And it wasn't about how people respond. It wasn't about people being in debt. It wasn't about people being stressed out. It's not about what Saul's doing to me. It's what God wants to do in me. It's what God wants to do in me. I will bless the Lord at all times. Verse 16, this is my favorite. Favorite. I try to be really dignified sometimes, but the Bible is so good. Are you ready for this? 16, the face. Are you Psalms 34? I'm sorry, yes. Psalms 34 and verse number 15. I'm sorry, go to verse 15. 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to the cry. In, in the cave. Verse 17, the righteous will cry out, the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh to those who have a broken heart and saved such as a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. He's going to bring me out of this cave. You know, I said that to say this. A man who will praise in the prison is the one who cannot be imprisoned. The man or the woman that can praise in the prison is the one that cannot be imprisoned. The man and the woman who can praise in the cave is the one that can never be imprisoned. How can the Apostle Paul write the book of Philippians in a prison? And in the book of Philippians, he says, count it all joy. Think on good things. Because even Paul understood that I can be in prison, but that doesn't mean the prison is in me. I could be in the cave, but that doesn't mean the cave is in me. I could be in the valley, but that doesn't mean the valley's in me. I could be in Egypt, but that doesn't mean Egypt is in me. I could be in Calvary, but that doesn't mean it's in me. God wants to cultivate. What can we learn from the gospel according to the cave? We learn that it's about cultivation, not cancellation. We learn that it's about doing ministry while you're dealing with your own misery. And we learn that sometimes God don't deliver you from everything. Sometimes God gives you the ability to endure some things. And sometimes this is hard to distinguish because you've got to discern what God wants to do. You've got to discern that if you're really anointed, if you're really anointed, that anointing will carry you through the caves of life. Sometimes it's hard. Listen, the wounds of our life is not your fault. But your healing is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to get healed. The struggles of your life may not be your fault. But it's your responsibility to manage it, to grow through it, to respond right to it. That's your responsibility. And sometimes in this American culture, when we have a problem that we're going through, it's very easy for us to get a prescription to deal with that problem. And sometimes we want a prescription to take medicine, to deal with it quickly, to do away with the problem. Sometimes in the Word of God, the prescription for your problem is responsibility. You've got to take responsible. You've got to be responsible of it. The man that has the withered hand, the responsibility of that man was to get up and stretch your hand out. I'm not going to fix it quickly. 
I'm not going to come over to you and bow down and pet you and tell you everything's going to be all right. And No, no, you need to get up and stretch your hand out. Take responsibility. The woman with the issue of blood, I'm not going to pity you because you've been sick for 12 years. She did something and pushed through the crowd and did something. She took responsibility. The blind man didn't sit there and say, poor me, nobody, nobody wants to help me. He took responsibility and cried louder than the crowd. Sometimes you've got to take responsibility. Sometimes you've got to press through. Sometimes you've got to give it your all and let the Holy Spirit cultivate it in your life. That's my prayer as the pastor of this church. That you would grow and that you would be men and women who would look like Jesus, respond like Jesus. You would be Jesus freaks. That you would make Jesus famous. That you'd make Jesus famous with your life. That you would grow. I don't want to be just an average Pentecostal church where we think our spirituality is found in how much tongues we speak and how much times we fall on the floor and run around the building. That's all good and fine. But my aim and purpose and goal is to follow the Scriptures. Ephesians 4.12 that He's given us pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, that we all grow up in the stature and the fullness of Christ. God wants to grow you. Quit looking at it as if it's the devil. Maybe it's God saying, I need you to come up another level. You're qualified, but you ain't ready. There are some things I want to do in your life and if I've anointed you, I've given you that anointing so that you can make it through the cave of life. Amen?